Tried to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Well, you're able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. With that great song, welcome back to the Very Mighty Podcast. Oh, shit, that made it. I'm going to be embarrassed. You know, it made it. The end part of that, I hope it made it. Otherwise, now nobody knows oh. what I'm talking about. I think the last little bit of your song made it. So they, they, Damn it. they didn't get the full full taste as I did. Experience? Get a little, yeah, full experience. They got a little taste. That's all that matters. <laughs> but hey, we're back. Uh, we got five games to, of Ducks hockey to look back on. Uh, three, two, and oh over the last five games. Uh, quick recap, 7-4 win over Vancouver, 4-3 shootout win over Van, uh, San Jose, 4-1 loss to the Kings, 4-0 loss to the Islanders, and a exciting 4-3 lo- uh, win against the Boston Bruins the other day, capped off by Trevor Zegers' power play goal with 21 seconds remaining and a, a nice uh, nice celebration in front of the, the Bruins bench, which was a lot of fun. But uh, it's been a mixed bag, which I guess has kind of been this uh, this entire season. But, hey, man, it's fun to be back. It uh, feels like it's been a while. It's like middle of February. It feels like it's been a month. Yeah, it does feel like it's been a while. I don't I don't know if that's just like because of the uh, like Olympic break that was already kind of baked in and the, the All-Star of, game and all that. But... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe it's just there's been other things happening. Um, weird. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's it feels like it's been a minute since we've done this. So it'll be nice to uh, do it. And I feel like it's a pretty good time. We've actually got some interesting things to talk about as far as, you know, we're two weeks, two and a half weeks out from the deadline. So the rumors are really starting to get kicking tonight or now. Yeah, uh, tonight so. I guess TSN. Um, what is yeah. it? What is it? Yeah. Trade breakers, I guess they call that segment. With a not even like it was mostly about JT Miller, but a little little tidbit thrown in there by Dreger that the uh, the Rangers are looking at Ricard Raquel. So we'll get into that a little bit. Um, as you could probably predict, a lot of what we're going to be talking about is going to be focused on the trade deadline. Uh, Verbeek had a couple interviews. The the one where we got. Uh, it's nothing groundbreaking, but the the comments that we'll focus on is uh, an article in The Athletic from Eric Stevens where he kind of sat down with Rubik and, and talked about his plans for the deadline. Uh, again, a lot of it is kind of what we expected uh, him to say in the sense that we're going to try and re-sign these guys, and if it doesn't pan out, we're going to trade them. Like there's Those are the only two options. We're not keeping them and losing them for nothing. So it's what we expected, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, we'll talk... A bit like we're not going to break down all five of those games, but more so look at them as a whole. Talk about the Ducks' playoff hopes, uh, how that could look right now, it's sitting fifth in the Pacific Division, um, and kind of on the outside looking in of one of the wild card spots, and uh, and then also on the trade deadline uh, side of things, Eric Stevens put out another article, his uh, Ducks trade deadline tier. So I wanted to take a look at that because I, I had I don't want to say I had some issues because I, I thought he was fairly close to what I would have put. Uh, there's a few guys on there that I thought should be in different tiers and a few guys that weren't included that I thought uh, we could put into some of the tiers. So we'll cover that uh, cover that as well. And then we got to talk Lucas Dostal's goalie goal because that uh, not even that, but his performance as a whole, 51 saves and scoring a goal, that's, uh, that's an all-time great goalie performance in any professional league. 
yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, if they gave out MVPs after one game, he'd be the winner, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know what else you want the guy to do. He's given himself, uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's like like a normal pitcher. I know that we have a lot of Angels fans who have been spoiled by the fact that Shohei Otani is the most throwback player of all time. Um, but, like, you know, it's like when, like, Bartolo Colon gets, like, a homer, and you're just like, oh, look at him giving himself run support. That's so fun. <laughs> So I, it was awesome, man. That was such a a great thing to just kind of pop onto Twitter and see last night. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, well, like, so that was fun. It, it was, I won't say it was misleading, but so Brett came into our Patreon Discord yesterday and was like, put in Lucas Dawson. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I got to, he must have done something amazing. So I go and I look and I kind of like half ass looked at the AHL uh, score sheet for the game. And I was like, Okay, like he probably just had a really good game. So I go and he made 51 saves. And I, was, and I didn't even look at the score sheet. Like I didn't pop into my mind that he possibly could have scored a goal. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, yeah, he had 51 saves. It's a great game. He's playing really well. He came off, um, I think it was AHL Player of the Week or AHL Goaltender of the Week. And then all the tweets started flooding and you get all these notifications that he scored a goal. And I was like, damn, like what a way to top off a performance like that. And uh, like it, it's really been, uh, I guess, a week's worth of performance for him because he's been on on a tear, and I'm so you know I'm surprised after the goal that we didn't uh, get people immediately demanding a trade for John Gibson and bring Lucas Dostal up because uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's usually something you expect to, to come forward. But hey, man, it's great to see him playing well nonetheless because uh, presumably if that ever was the case, like he is the guy to take over, and we've talked about this before. Yeah, no, absolutely. He, he, by all, you know, by all accounts and by all assessments is the next guy up. Um, I can't, why can't I think of the super talk Gage Alexander? Yeah. I had Sebastian Costa stuck in my head, but Gage Alexander is, you know, another interesting prospect as far as he's probably a few years away. And then there's always, um, uh, Erickson Eck who, is you know also right in there as far as being someone who can you, you know likely step into some level of an NHL role moving forward. Um, so it, it's it's interesting. It's it's fun to see you know those kinds of things. It's 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 kind of his own version of uh, that shootout goal that uh, Zegers had last year, yeah. where you were just like, how is that even what we're doing? Like. You know, it's one of those plays that it's like it doesn't matter that it's the AHL. It's just impressive. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, it doesn't happen that you know, often, like You see right? clips from, like, prospects. Right. You see clips from, like, prospects, and, you know, they're playing against juniors or, so, you know, and they're just running everybody ragged because they're just so much better. And this this isn't that. This is just him making an incredible play, having incredible awareness. Um, and it's just a blast to see, so. Yeah, I'm... I, I... <clears throat> I would assume by the end of the year he'll probably <clears throat> get another start, uh, which would be nice to see. But uh, either way, like him tearing it up down there, it's kind of all you can ask for right now. And the goals have struggled this year, so it's nice to see him doing well. But we got Ducks hockey to talk about. I just had to throw that one in there because that was a lot of fun to, to see that come up. But as you mentioned, five games since we last jumped on here. We had the post-game show for our last one, um, and now we've had those five games since where the Ducks have gone 3-2-0. Uh, 26, 21, and 9, fifth in the Pacific Division. Uh, a few more games above. The, so a lot of other teams around them have uh, about two or three games in hand. Uh, Vancouver, L.A., Edmonton. 
uh, Vegas have a bunch of games in hand on the Ducks right now. So not great spot to be in. They're still kind of hanging around that like 17th, 18th total standing spot in the NHL with the uh, Nashville's kind of right in, in, in that spot uh, and fighting with teams like Dallas and, uh, and Edmonton and LA for the final wild card spot, potentially LA rattle off 10 wins in a row at one point there. And I was surprised to see their record today. I saw them in, uh, reading an article is like power rankings and they're like 29 17 and 9 it's like god damn like like two months ago they were behind the ducks or like right around the same record as the ducks it's been an unbelievable streak for them i i haven't you know self-admittedly haven't been paying too much attention to them but they've kind of quietly come on but the ducks four five and one in the last 10 still have 17.2 percent odds to make the playoffs i would love to have gone back and checked what that was two months ago it's probably around 40 percent. but uh how, how are you feeling because we, we kind of expected this to happen at some point and i don't want to be pessimistic and say you know we foresaw this coming it just kind of felt like you know the expectations at the beginning of the season were so low and what we had was kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum that it was eventually going to kind of fall into this middle ground of where we are at now where they're good but they're not playoff good right they're not one of those top six teams yeah or top 16 teams yet yeah no i think um you know it's fun like real quick just to your point like los angeles is definitively second in the pacific right now um and it 100% appears that second and third are going to be in the Pacific are going to be much easier uh, as far as claiming them than the wild card spots are. Uh, and it's it's funny, you know. I think two of the bigger surprises starting this year, Nashville and Anaheim, have fallen down. Nashville is now the first wild card spot, and Anaheim is obviously uh, out of it. They're two points behind Edmonton, and Edmonton has two games in hand. So like it's. You know, the situation, I guess, is is what we were expecting, but it feels like the road we took to get here almost makes it a bit of a bummer. Um, but, I, you know, I think we've talked about this before. Like, that's that's kind of the best version of this year, right, where you kind of, in the long run, end up right around where you figured you would as far as not being a playoff team and stuff like that. But, like, the, there is, like, real sign of life here from this team, you know. And, and it's great. It's like... It's funny, like, it's kind of like just like Icarus, like flying too close to the sun. Like, we just got so caught up in how much fun it was with Milano and Terry and Getsy and Zegris just clicking that we did kind of forget that these were very frail wings and it was not going to last just because, you know, young players don't have that kind of impact, you know, in almost any sport. That's why those players are so special. So, yeah. And, and when, you know, the top guys for the Ducks go down. There isn't that, you know, stopgap to fill in and and make way for, you know, consistent play. Like, the, the big difference between the Ducks and the top teams in this league is the consistency, right? And being able to kind of mm-hmm. rotate the lineup and, and have guys who can step in and, and play a significant role when guys go out. And Anaheim has kind of come across that consistency issue right now where they started so hot and they're top of the Pacific Division. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that they played, in some cases, seven to eight more games than teams like Calgary and Edmonton at some point. But now, you know, you've come against those teams. Calgary lost, Edmonton lost, L.A. lost. And I think that has hurt them. And that's what we said would happen or 
we said if it was the case, like February is such an important month for Anaheim because it's going to make or break their mm-hmm. season. They're playing all these teams that are close to them in the standings. Not only did they lose to those teams, but you look at the Flames, I think they're like 9-1-0 in their last 10. Uh, it's the Stars, the Kings, the Oilers have won seven of their last 10. Meanwhile, the Ducks have you know been below 500 in their last 10. So now you've had this gap that has formed between these teams that you're fighting with for a playoff spot where they've started you know, coming on in the, in the tail end of the season here, the second half of the season, the Ducks have tailed off a little bit and lost those big four-point games to those teams that are close to them in the standings. Now, there's going to be a few more of them coming up eventually, and you know they're not out of it yet. There's a fair amount of teams that are near the bottom that have a 0% chance of making the playoffs, so 17.2 is, you know, we're, you're saying we have a chance at least to, to make it. <laughs> uh, but it, it, uh, it'll be tough, and... I think what we can expect for the rest of the year, which isn't necessarily bad, is what we had over the last five-game sample size here. Some some really good games against some tough opponents, a, a well-hard-fought game against the Bruins with an exciting ending to it, some disappointing games like L.A. and New York where you just don't show up for those games. But it's better than the last couple seasons before this where every game was like the 4-1 loss to the Kings and the 4 nothing loss to the Islanders where there's just no goal scoring and nothing's happening. There's a bit more of those fun, exciting moments that are still happening this year that it still makes it fun to tune in for those games. You know, you don't know what team's going to show up, and the Ducks have some individual skill now, obviously, in Zegers and Terry that can get you off your seat every now and then. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a really perfect way to put it, right, is that now the thing that's going to kind of sustain – because, like – you know, like you pointed out that like Calgary was like nine and one going into that game or even coming out of that game, whatever it is. Right. It's one of those things where it's like, I honestly almost wouldn't be that upset at losing to a team on a heater if they looked like they had any life in that game. And, you know, they just got the way they lost in a couple of these, I think are almost worse than the losses themselves because it's not even, there's no moral victory here. Right. There's nowhere where you're like, look, we ran into a team at the top of division. We don't want to give up the points, but at the end of the day, you know, they're playing well and we're ahead of schedule. So this is what you expect, but it's like you get smacked by um, the Kings like that. And, you know, it's just that hurts and getting just absolutely obliterated. Like I said, by the flames like that, like it, it makes it seemingly much easier to just really accept where the, the direction we're headed as far as with these three key UFAs coming up and Pat Verbeek and what he's going to be doing going into this deadline and what kind of calls he's going to be making, you know, like Brett asked in the, in the chat the other day about like, is losing Lindholm a positive or a negative for the next three to five years, right? Just in that thing. And I think at this point, looking at the way that they're playing and how kind of, much they've settled down like i i feel like i would say it's 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 a positive because you're gonna move him for quality assets and by the time this team is ready he might be what 32 31 right like it's two three years from now before maybe everybody's really on time you hope not but i don't know that you want to count on it um you know so i I mean what are your thoughts on that as far as like if you know they trade lindholm is that an automatic positive or, or negative as far as the next three to five years. Yeah. I, I think immediately it's a negative impact on the lineup immediately because mm-hmm. you're losing your, your best defenseman arguably. Right. 
um, out of the lineup. Mm, you're, lose, you're, you're at least losing one of your top defensemen out of the lineup uh, and that you have no immediate replacement for. Like the replacement here is Gooley, Larson, Mahura. It, you know, there's a huge, huge drop off from there. But again, you know, when we're looking three to five years out, where the positive comes in is whatever you get for him. Uh, for for moving him out this year, what does that mm-hmm. become in the next couple of years, and how much closer does that get you to contention? You know, we've speculated on trade rumors before, but let's throw one out that we've talked about in the past. You move him to the Rangers, and you get Schneider in a first or something like that. So, you know, how impactful does that uh, on the team two, three, four years down the road, right? Uh, so, I I think you get mm-hmm. both sides of it because any player moving Raquel out is a net negative right now. Because you lose, you know. yeah. But I think I think it's easier to look at Raquel and be like, moving him is the best thing for the team, regardless of the fact that it's taking a talent away from this team. Because at least with Raquel, I can point to different players in the system and be like, these are the guys yeah. that we're kind of hoping fill in on this role. You know, this is a, a point that I think. Um, Merrick and Friedman have made more than a couple of times on the 32 Thoughts podcast is Lindholm is a very particular type of player. There isn't really anybody in the system right now that looks like they're even on track to be that type of player. You know, it's it's a lot of, you know, good, you know, hopefully fourth defensemen. And, you know, a lot of it's more offense and upside because that's what the pipeline was lacking so long. Um, but you know, even the more like, I guess, steady types like Thrun or whatever, like, I don't think he's gonna, you know, walk into just being, um, that strong, like a shut down defender, right? Like I think, or even just Lindholm's a defenseman ability to just, right. There, there really aren't many I, you know, top tier defensemen in the duck system right now beyond Zellweger. You know, Dry, Drysdale's graduated from that status. And then like you mentioned, like it's Thrun and Lacombe and and Ian Moore and guys like that. But, you know, right now it's up in the air whether they're, they're going to be NHLers at any point or not. So the, the real top tier of it is Selwager, and that's it. Whereas with Raquel, like you said, you've got Pasov, you've got Perot, you've got Tracy, you know, you've got all these guys mm-hmm. that are McTavish that are, are coming up that can, you know, replace him eventually as a top nine forward in this team. Ducks are very heavy in in the forward department now, which is not something we're used to. Usually it's the complete flip side of that, where they have a ton of defense prospects and they can afford to move guys out and build from a a position of strength there. So, yeah, that that is a good point with with Lindholm there and and how how can you replace him right now? You can't. Like Raquel, you can move, you can say you can replace him. I I guess the same thing essentially goes for Manson in, in a sense in that you don't have a lot of, right-handed defense prospects that could replace him mm-hmm. now or into the future. Now, you know, he doesn't have the same impact on the lineup that Lindholm does, but it, it's just... Mm, interesting. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I, I, I know yes, you love I'm him. I'm being so. a pain in the ass. But, so, yeah, it, it's, no, just, but it's, I, it's hard it, to replace any right. of these guys right now. We don't, you know, maybe the draft changes that. Maybe some of these trades change that. But there aren't guys in the system right now or close to being in the system that can jump up and, and have that type of impact or could have that type of impact. Yeah. You know, I, I think the closest for Manson is Simon Benoit and maybe he, you know, long-term moves to his left side. 
uh, or the opposite side and he plays on the right. But like, it feels like we have a lot of left-handed defensemen and depending on the way in which, you know, Pat Verbeek wants to, to build this team. Um, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, he, he's going to have a lot of decisions to make coming up soon as far as which, which of these guys to keep around. Like if nothing else, like, you know, maybe you just keep Larson as a, an AHL guy, but is he going to want that? You know, what are you doing with Gooley, right? Then you have Lindholm, then you have Fowler, you still have Benoit, you still have Mahura. Like, you know, you've got Zellweger, who is lighting the world on fire down in juniors right now. You've got, you know, the the college-age kids that we've been talking about. You have whoever's going to come out of this draft. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, you know, like Brett said it in the, in the chat, like, Benoit is... I think you could look at him as far as a stylistic or um, like emotional likeness for Manson as far as playing that heavy game, as far as finishing his checks in that punishing way. But, you know, we thought that guy, or at least I thought that guy was going to be Drew, and now he's a winger. So, you know. Yeah, I was waiting for him. It's looking like the guy I thought. I I mean, that's (laughs) what it's, right? It's weird. It's almost like the guy that I was expecting to replace Manson could now replace Raquel, which is just an insane thought. So, I, you know, it's interesting. I just think um, Lindholm, I, I, I do just think because the team has struggled these last couple of years, I do think we've kind of taken for granted how effective Lindholm is mm-hmm. and, and how much he does really kind of just shut down half the ice. Like, I, I, you know, he's not you know, like an all-time Hall of Fame lock-level player, right? But, like, he is one of the best defensemen in the league, in my opinion, right now. And that's not something to wave your finger at, right? Like, that's meaningful and valuable. I think he is what Jacob Slavin is now when the Ducks were good, right? He was getting a lot of hype and a lot Mm -hmm. of credit for what he did when the Ducks were good, then they're bad, and the tables have turned, and Slavin has been in Carolina for a long time, didn't get mm-hmm. a lot of That's recognition when Carolina was bad, but when they they started you know to turn the turn it around, his impact became a little more evident when they had other guys to supplement the offensive side of the game, and he could kind of do what he does best. And now he's widely regarded as probably the most underrated defenseman in the league and the top shutdown defenseman in the league. And he's kind of taken that mantle from Lindholm of what Lindholm was, where you talk to any mm-hmm. of the analytics people five, six years ago, who was their top defenseman in the league or one of the top defensemen or the most underrated? It was Lindholm. That was the answer for mm-hmm. pretty much everybody. And when Lindholm gets traded or if he gets traded and goes to another team, a competitive one, I think we'll start to see that again, is you know yeah, what, what, this, what this guy can do. Uh, given the right role on a very good team, uh, and that will be that that'll be the most heart wrenching part of it is if he does get moved, you know, what what he could have done if we kept him around. But it's not like they're moving him and they could resign him at this point. Like they're trying to resign him if it doesn't work out. Like this is a guy who's already publicly stated, I believe, that he wants to pursue free agency and see what his options are. And Verbeek, which might as well dive into it now in his comments, has said that you know he's not losing anybody for free. He's having the conversations right. with all three guys. What is it going to take? What's what's the ask? You know what what would it take to re-sign you? Weigh that up with what we could get, 
and then they go from there. And uh, ultimately, I think it leads to Lindholm getting traded. I, I think he is serious about testing free agency, and the Ducks are going to have to get something for him. You can't just gamble that yep. he's going to pick you in free agency. There's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be after him and a lot of teams that are a lot better. Um, and and it, it doesn't mean you can, you, you can move him now and take a swing at him in free agency. And I, and I ultimately think that that is what is probably the best option for the Ducks to do. You know, everybody would love to keep a player like this around. Get what you can get for him now. Let him go have a run with a competitive team. Reach back out to his camp in free agency. Hey, you want to come back? Well, what do, you know what it, you know what it's going to take. Presumably, unless you know more offers come in and, and that inflates the numbers, which probably will. But you 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 already have had that conversation. Now you know what he's looking for. You're privy to that mm-hmm. well in advance of a lot of other teams. Um. So I, I think that's the best avenue for the Ducks. But yeah, the, the Lindholm situation will be a lot. It will be an interesting one to follow because he's the most. He's the guy you'd want to keep around the most of the three because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of depth behind him. But he's also the guy that can fetch you the most. He's the mm-hmm. top defenseman available, the most sought after defenseman um, in free ad- or in at the trade deadline, especially of. Um, the unrestricted free agents, I guess Chickren would probably be the top of that list, but Lindholm's right up there with Klingberg as the top defenseman available. And, and there's a hell of a lot of more teams who I think are looking for a player like Lindholm versus a player like Klingberg. And that's not a knock on Klingberg. That's just what Hampus Lindholm brings to the games and a lot of what a lot of teams are looking for to, to bring in for a defenseman for, you know, potentially a long playoff push. Yeah, I think, you know, Klingberg gives you uh, more offensive upside. He's a right-handed shot. I think those two things will always have value. Um, but that being said, I do think if you just put them side by side, like Lindholm's the better uh, the better player. Um, but I think the other thing is, like, if, if they trade Lindholm, he's not coming back. I, I understand what you're saying as far as it's still on the table because you're absolutely right. It doesn't completely rule it out, but I think contextually it does, right? Because the moment you send him out the door, you lose your biggest asset, which is the eighth year, which yep. is a way that you can counteract some of the difference in money. But if you're telling me that everybody's got seven-year deal and everybody can make the same amount of money offer, he's not going to take a team – that's farther along in their competitive window at this point in his career, like the ducks would have to make a ridiculous offer, like basically an Eric Carlson offer to overcome, excuse me, overcome where they're at in their timeline and the loss of that eighth year, as far as being able to keep him versus other contenders. Um, You know, so like I said, unless uh, I, I would love to keep him. Um, but at this point, it, you know, you already have your homegrown veteran, bring the kids along defenseman in Cam Fowler. Like that's him now. Like, you know, you've got him signed long-term. He's got like, I think I know five or six years left on that deal. Yeah. Um, you know, he's going to be making real money. He's got that insane, no, uh, no trade clause and, um, you know, I think at this point, it, it really is uh, about just finding the best trade for Lindholm that you can and, and trying to throw those guys against each other and see if you can get somebody to to really overpay. Yeah, I, I think I think teams are going to get desperate. Uh, you know, a lot of suitors for Lindholm, 
But as we've mentioned, you know, whether Chickering gets traded or not, the teams that lose out on that opportunity are going to come knocking or or at least have, you know, pushing harder to come and get Hampus Lindholm than they might have been, you know, might have inquired about him and then went after some other guys. But once guys like potentially Klingberg and Chikrin and others, you know, Sherratt get moved, you know, the, the market definitely, there's less teams interest in Lindholm, but the price could get driven up at that point if, uh, unless he's moved first because, you know, he is the best piece on the market. Uh, and, and Brett makes a good point too uh, about Lindholm wanting to come back. You know, no, if if he wanted to come back, he really wouldn't want to test free agency in a sense, right? Like, uh, part part of that is true for me because this is the last big contract of his career. This is the most pivotal pivotal contract of his career. It's the you know the prime of his career that's going to take him into kind of the tail end of the next contract he signs, unless he's you know playing just out of his mind is going to be some you know some smaller deals beyond this one. So this is an important decision from him. And I don't blame him for wanting to go in there and just test the market, see what teams are interested in, what their mm-hmm. offers are, and be able to just pick the best situation that, that works for you. And if it came down to it, you know, picking between teams like New York and Carolina and Colorado, why would he not go there, right? Like those teams have a chance to win – one, if not multiple, Stanley Cups over the next couple of years, the way their rosters are built. And he doesn't owe anything to Anaheim to stick around and, and dredge it through the next nope, couple of years. You, know, you, you presumably could have five or six years with some of these teams to run at it versus you know, maybe you'll have two years, three years uh, with Anaheim two years near the end of your contract, not the beginning, near the end of that contract where – you're maybe not as an impactful player at that point. So I, I don't blame him. I think the Ducks are going to get a lot from him um, based off what Verbeek has said. He has a plan going into this deadline. They've got a game plan. Uh, they want to see if they can execute it over the next three weeks and the four months leading up to free agency, you know, improve the team as fast as they can. And uh, ultimately, if you know they can't get the free agents back, they are going to move them. Uh, I think Lindholm is is a shoe in at this point. I think he gets moved. I think Raquel's along with that, uh, and Manson Manson's the interesting one just because of his contract status and the fact that uh, he can kind of limit the amount of places that uh, that he could go. So that one makes it a mm-hmm. little bit tough. And I don't think the Ducks can afford to to lose two defensemen to lose Lindholm and Manson. So that one will be uh, be a bit interesting. I think he's the most likely yes, guy to potentially can. resign. I, I too, don't. Right? I don't think that's. I don't think that's true though. I don't. I don't well, think they can. That, but let me. Okay, like what? Sorry, I'm, I'm fucking going full uh, first take <laughs> here. Um, what? What is your reasoning for saying they can't really afford to lose two of the defensemen in their top four? Like, I'm not saying I don't understand it to a point, but I want to know what about the Ducks specifically? Do you think is relevant here? It's just a big loss, right? Like, which is fine because you're now in a you know if you're selling at this point anyway, you're aiming to you're you're projecting or predicting that you're going to miss the playoffs and you're selling off the assets that that you can get something in return for. It's just a major job, and maybe it's just because we're not used to it, right? Like, maybe it's mm-hmm. you know we're used to Bob Murray and buying and going into deadlines like that where it's just not fathomable that the Ducks could sell two of their top four defensemen and a top six winger in the same deadline and get assets for them um, because we're used to, you know, them being competitive or trying to make the playoffs and 
the, the guys they have to step in and replace Lindholm and Manson right now make this team significantly weaker in a department where they're already struggling this year. To say, okay, you know, Lindholm and Manson are gone. It's going to be Drysdale, Shattenkirk, Fowler, Benoit, Mahura, you know, Larson at this point, like that, or Gooley. Like that's that's what you're going to run on the blue line at this point. But that's where you are, I guess, right? Like I've, I've flipped this around and I guess talked myself into it. But it's just it's a situation we're not used to being in, or at least like <laughs> I'm not used to being in where I'm like, oh, yeah, the Ducks could probably do this. Like they can move both of these guys. And, yeah, they're going to be worse, but that's probably what they should be doing right now. Yeah, I, I, I want to ask you two questions, and I feel like they're kind of interconnected. So I'll ask one, get your answer, and then I'll ask the second part of it, I guess. Um, do you think it's at all interesting that we haven't heard any talk about trading Shattenkirk? Who uh, doesn't make a lot of money, is an offensive right shot, and um, all things most considered is having wonderfully a pretty good year already too. has a cup. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. it, it's it's interesting. I think he's a name. If anybody else from that blue line was gonna come up and or potentially get traded, like he he's next in line for that. And, and maybe it's just getting overshadowed a bit by the UFAs because you have to either resign or move out mm-hmm. Lindholm and Manson. So that's the the brunt of the focus here. I can see some teams potentially calling on on Shattenkirk uh, and there being interest from both sides. But but that's a that's a tough ask. That's a bold move. I, I we we just got off talking like I was saying I don't I can't see them moving two defensemen out, let alone three. That that's a bold move from uh, from a new GM to be like, listen, we're just we're getting rid of all three of these guys, and that's it. Um, so that yeah, that 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 would be tough. I mean, if Manson isn't moved, right? Like if they do agree, so that's to, the second part. Uh, an extension would you for agree Manson. to a? four by six contract with Manson if you had a deal to get Shattenkirk out the door. No. No, God no. Four by six. You wouldn't give Manson four years at six million? No. 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 Why no. not? I, I don't think he's any worth anywhere close to that. Uh what would you give him? I, I'd say he's worth closer to around four and a half. So you don't think he's in line for a significant raise from his current contract? I, I think he will get it. I just think what I'm comfortable giving him, mm-hmm. um, that four by six. Oh, will fair look, enough. I, yeah, that's it a will look awful it. from the from the get go. It's gonna look worse every year you get into that contract. Um, it, it's just, it, it's not, it's not a great deal to be handing a guy like that. Um, to just get shot and kick off the books, he's likely not gonna get you. Like he's not gonna get you much more than what Manson probably would have got you anyway. Ooh. I also well here's the thing for me is I don't think you're doing it to get Shattenkirk off the books. I think what it is is if you can make a good trade for Shattenkirk, does that make you more open to keeping a player like Manson and having that stability on the right side for the next couple of years just institutionally, right? All things considered, you hope he starts to move down the lineup, right? As as younger guys come up. But I just think institutionally um and 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 just to have some some continuity mm-hmm. um i i think if you can get a good deal for shattenkirk and bring in manson to kind of be again that right hand veteran presence i think that has has value 
Yeah, um, I think it does. Uh, just four four by six for me is it's just mm-hmm. it's just a little rich for for what Manson has done and brings to this lineup. I think he I think he is a a, a good four uh, on on most teams. He can be a good four, but a four by six is is a stretch, and it's not like it's going to hurt the Ducks. So it's not about that. Like it's not like they're going to be in cap trouble and that contract's going to hurt them. And you know they're moving out a lot of guys that they would have to resign, and, and some of their bad contracts will expire mm-hmm. by that point. So it's not necessarily that. It's just I just don't think he's worth it. It's the opportunity and, cost of six million dollars. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's sure. you know when I'm approaching like what a guy's worth and what. Like, Take out all the the other factors of of you know other guys you have to resign and like is he worth six million to me no, and mm-hmm. and regardless of right. any of the other factors of of what it's going to do to the cap and is it going to allow you to sign this guy and what could you get from him in a trade whatever, I just don't think he's worth six so I wouldn't give him six now if you're going to say you know you give him a four by five or four by four and a half, you you could probably talk me into it if Shatker's going out the door for the reasons that you mentioned. You've got Fowler and Manson as kind of your veteran presence on the blue line for the next couple of years, to, you know, to to help mm-hmm. bring along Drysdale and Zellweger and Thrun and a few others and insulate them into the lineup. Like you've got, you've got two guys that are stuck in the top four, you, so you can you can reward some opportunities to other guys, but you've got these guys that have kind of been around the organization that can kind of bring them in and, and help them. Uh, with the process so i i like that thought process for sure but yeah it has to, it has to be it has to be at a uh at a good at a good price i can't i can't give him six just uh to be that guy i'm so sad that jay wasn't here for that because you you went process and then process you did both of them back to back help him out with that process yeah it's like, uh in no, in no way intentional whatsoever either i don't i, just, I, oh, flip, I don't think flip so. between the two of them it's just it's just funny. Um, no, I, I, I think everything you're saying makes sense. I think Josh Manson is a $6 million player to Anaheim. I think he will get $6 million on the open market. Yeah, somebody will. I mean, somebody gave like, Eric Johnson. If Rasmus Ristolainen is about to get 6.4, allegedly, from Philly... Yeah. Just so they don't embarrass themselves, theoretically, right? Just so they don't look like they gave up all that stuff for nothing. I I don't understand how you don't want more. Like you, you don't think Manson is at least hit six? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, on the open market, he's getting at least five and a but... half uh, on the open market. I would imagine for for Manson, and a lot of it depends on term. He might take less money to get you know five six years instead, but. Uh... Yeah, I, I mean, there's always yeah. there's always value in a player like him, a right shot defenseman who's got some size and physicality to his game, and people will chalk up the last couple of years to the Ducks being bad, and you put him on a better team, and things could you know rebound to the heydays of him with Hampus Lindholm and what they did together, right? So there uh, there will definitely be interest. There always will be in a player like him, and and I think he is better than what we're seeing from him right now. Um, and maybe that justifies a team. He's paying got the six best defensive for. underlying numbers on the team right now. That's my thing. Like, okay, I'm sorry. Again, full first takey, but this is driving me crazy. I get that he has struggled the last couple of years. He right now has the best defensive numbers on the team. Uh, are they in good, underlying though? metrics? Are they good? Yeah. 
yeah, he's got like a 2.2, 2.1 goals against per 60, which is the lowest by, I think, probably 0.1, 0.2. I think Fowler's at 6.4, 6.5-ish, or 2.4, 2.5-ish. Um, you know, uh, shots and expected goals per 60. He has the best defensive numbers. And if you want to say he did get hurt, and the team has started to struggle in games he's missed. I'm perfectly open to that as far as him having relatively better numbers, but I also think there's something to that statement that proves he's actually having a better year than we think is. The moment he has left the lineup, there has been a loss in some of that rigidity, and there has been a loss to some of that stability. And as much as you may want to say it's not so much him as who's coming up to fill in, I don't think that's fair. And I do think that takes away from... uh, from, from what Manson has, has done this year. I think we've seen more of a return to form from him than a lot of people are giving credit. Mike, uh, I think it's a, the, the stylistic who, uh, difference that catches a lot of people off from what, like he's just kind of a so different is, player, right? From what we used to see from him. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I also think the other thing, and like, like I said, my friend Mike Fukuda made this point, which is he, when he messes up, it does stand out because it's usually a result of his skating where he gets beat by a a better, faster winger. Like, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure Evander Kane has hit him with the same inside-out move like three separate times. And I, I get that it stands out, but I also think that this is part of the, you know, anecdote versus data kind of a thing and we're all guilty of that i'm just as guilty as anybody i imagine everybody who's hearing this eventually is going to go yeah well you point out every bad thing fowler doesn't don't like it at all like more than fair but it, it it has been a little frustrating for me to see to to feel like i am seeing manson be notably better this year than he has been the last two years and to have the numbers back that up and to feel like i'm the only one who thinks he's playing better it, it, it doesn't make sense. And like I said, I get that some of his blunders are, are a little bit more theatric and they just stick out. But, I, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. That's no, my piece. no, I, I, I get it. Because I, I think what when what we're used to, what we used to see with Manson is you know, we, the mistakes were there. And, and the same mistakes he's making now happen. Like, it's not like that has changed. Like you said, Vander Kane's beating with the same move with three different teams, right? Like it, it happens like he's the same player in that sense, but we noticed him physically. So we saw good things that were noticeable from, cause you know, he's a shutdown defensive defenseman. He, he's doing well when you don't notice him usually. Right. But what we used to see from Manson is he'd lay a massive hit and he'd be engaged physically. And he would be a guy that would kind of engage after the whistle or get in fights occasionally every now and then when the Ducks were good because that was his role and and they played that style of game. Now, he doesn't do that a lot as much as he used to. You don't notice the, that anymore. That was the, the, the noticeable good that he could bring to the game. He's not going to do anything rarely offensively that's, that's going to you know put you out of your seat. So those were the things you noticed from good. You saw that, okay, wow, Manson's having a good game. And then if the mistake came, it's okay, you know, the mistake, and then we had, we put it with, you know, the good that came, yeah, you know, he laid this guy out and he fought this guy and, and you know, 
Okay, he had a pretty decent game. Now it's if we notice him, it's, he's doing something bad, and it's it's rarely any of that that the good stuff that we saw before the physicality and and none of that really matters in the grand scheme of thing of him having a good game because like you said, the numbers are showing that he's playing better. You just don't notice it, and when we do notice him, it's a mistake. And I think that is where a lot of people get caught up in okay, Manson's not good anymore, and you know he's not playing well because when we notice him, it's a mistake. And not a lot of people like I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't looked at his underlying numbers, so I didn't know he was playing great. And I and I'm just looking at him objectively. When I notice him on the ice, it's a mistake. And yeah, bluntly no, saying, I, yeah, you know, fair. he's he's not playing well. It doesn't look great tonight. And there are there are definitely games this year where the mistakes have been more than one, and they've been plentiful. But this is not a great team, and that's going to happen, especially a guy who's tasked with a role such as him. But yeah, I think there is some some unfair criticism because of that. Because what we're used to seeing from Josh Manson, and when you do notice him, it's it's a mistake, right? Like Drysdale makes a ton of mistakes, but he washes a lot of that out when you're just watching the games with his skating and the skill he brings he's so offensively, dynamic. right? Absolutely. So you don't notice that much. You can say, oh, "Man, Drysdale's looking great" because he's probably had you know two or three odd man rushes and some impressive skating zone exits that you're just like, "Wow, this guy is amazing." But follows that up with you know a couple bad turnovers, but you you kind of wash that to the side because wow look how fun that was right you don't see that with Josh Manson and a lot of what sticks in your head is just kind of the negative things that that he's compiled throughout that game. Yeah, you know I I, I definitely think some of the playing with an edge thing is legit, but I do wonder how much of that is him setting into settling into a little bit more prominent role right like he's a bigger part of this team now like to the same degree that we see Getsy be very selective with his physicality and some of that kind of you know rough stuff like uh the end of the Kings game where he was like I'm finding somebody to fight um you know and I think he was going after Lazat or Dursey or one of them but it was very funny um but I think you know, I I think some of that is 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 more than fair, but I do also think that like, again, like I just think some of it's a little overblown. Like I do think his his physicality is still there. It's it's not as as obvious. You know what I mean? I guess I would say. But like again, like he's one of the only guys who I trust in front of their own net, right? You know, I I have no problem with Lindholm there, but other than that, I I don't trust a lot of these guys to be able to move some of these guys around, and and get them out of the way. And we're seeing Gibby get screened a fair amount throughout this rough this rough patch, and you know goals are just beating him. And uh, you know it's hard for me not to think that having one of our traditional more defensemen, I'm gonna cross check you 50 times in the back of the neck, and it's never gonna get called type defenseman like I, I do think that hurts I do think there is something lost now again I do think Benoit has started to do more of that as he's gotten more comfortable um I think his physicality has been noticeable as far as him you know finishing checks when he has the opportunity but I, I don't think his play stands out the way that Prime Manson did no for sure and and it's again <laughs> two different teams two different play styles two different periods mm-hmm. and, of success right now and in, in, in the next case right now uh, not not so much success, but okay. I, I got one question on this because it, it it this might be just a stupid point. 
But I'm I'm thinking like if Lindholm is moved and Manson is kept, does this potentially help Jamie Drysdale? Because right now he's with Lindholm, top pair, top you know top pair minutes, playing all situations, usually getting matched against the the, the team's best players, the opposition's best players. If Manson is kept and Lindholm is moved, presumably the top pair now becomes Fowler Manson, and they get those matchups and they get those minutes. Drysdale slots down to second pair plays with whoever Benoit, you know, Mahara, Larson, whoever, you know, Gooley, whoever you want to put with, uh, and in turn is going to get less minutes because of that because he's not playing with Hampus Lindholm, right? He's he's playing so many minutes right now because Lindholm has to play that many minutes, and Drysdale is playing with Lindholm because mm-hmm. they're not going to play Drysdale on the third pair, and Fowler and Manson is the second pair right now. So does Drysdale benefit from that? Manson's not in the lineup right, right now. Right. Yeah. So does Drysdale potentially benefit from that, that he would, in theory, be slotted down the lineup with Lindholm moving out? So I think that's a really interesting question, but I I would be hard-pressed to not think that they wouldn't just play Drysdale with Fowler and play Manson with somebody else, right? Like a Ghouli or a Mahura. Um, I, I think for me, I would love to see exactly what you're talking about. I think a, a Benoit Drysdale pairing is very interesting. You know what I mean? I, I think they could really, because of their, their age, because of their play styles, because of their handedness, I just think everything is there that that could develop into a strong defensive pair, Right. But I don't know that Eakins is is gonna be comfortable doing that, right? Like he's done Benoit Pattern, but or uh, Benoit Mahura and moved Pattern up to like the first pair and things like that, right? Like Pattern has moved higher into the lineup um, when given a little bit of an opportunity, and we've seen that that's been a disaster, and hopefully that's done. But uh, I don't know that I I am counting on Drysdale taking less minutes if Lindholm has moved out the door. I think everything you're saying makes very logical sense, and I would hope that that is the way that it plays out, but I'm not necessarily sure. Um, wow, that's a terrible joke, Brett. He said Drysdale becomes homeless. <laughs> I'm so mad right now. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that makes a lot of logical sense. And there's a lot to it, uh, but I I just don't know that Aikens is going to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it just shifts things around, right? Because you've now you, you're presented with this situation where you've moved out your top guy, and you you have when everybody's healthy, you had two locked in top four pairings on defense. You had Lindholm, Drysdale, Fowler, Manson. Lindholm's gone, so now you got to figure out what to do with Drysdale. That potentially, like you said, could break up Fowler and Manson, and Fowler goes with Drysdale. Or that means somebody comes up to play with um, to play with Jamie Drysdale. So, you know, is it Brandon Gooley? Is it Simon Benoit? Do they keep Benoit with Shattenkirk? Gooley's up right now, but, you know, is it Mahura? Is it Larson? Do you put them with Drysdale? So it just presents you this situation. And if Drysdale is then playing with Mahura or Gooley, 
there's no way he's playing anywhere near the same amount of minutes that he was playing with Linton because he's playing with Gooley and playing with Larson, right? Like they're just not going to hand 25 minutes a night to those guys. You know, they might be comfortable handing that to Drysdale, what, but they're not going to hand that to Larson or to Gooley. My, my guess is that they, they wouldn't do that. They, they're so comfortable, I would think, handing that those min, that many minutes to Drysdale right now is because he's with Hampus Lintholm. And they don't want to play him on the bottom pair. You know, and, and they don't want to play, I think, Shattenkirk up with Lintholm. So it's really the only spot you can put Jamie Drysdale right now is with Hampus Lintholm because they like what they see from, from Fowler and Manson. So just moving Lintholm and keeping Manson provides you with this interesting scenario where it like almost could force Drysdale into a bit of a sheltered role, which might might honestly be the best thing for him at this point, just to take a little bit of responsibility off him and let him relax a little mm-hmm. bit, not have to play 25 minutes yeah. a game. I don't think that's unfair at all. I think, uh, I think there's something there. I think, I guess my question to you now is, what happens if they move? Oh, my. Sorry, guys. My dog is going ham. Um... <laughs> I didn't realize it. I heard it, but I didn't even think of it until I saw your face, and you just started laughing, and I was like, what is he laughing? Oh, shit. Um, but uh, what do you think happens if they move both of them out? If Pure we're chaos. left with... <laughs> no, I think I think that's when you see Fowler Drysdale. I think that's when you see for sure see Fowler Drysdale, is if they move both of them out. Then what? Benoit, Shattenkirk, and... Whoever's left, maybe Gooley Mahara. Yeah, whoever's left at that point. I mean, it almost becomes easy. It almost comes easier if you move them out because you know Ben Juan, Shattenkirk have played together, and, gotta... and then you just mm-hmm. fit the, the two pieces left from your top four together and say, okay, Fowler, Drysdale are together, and and that's it. it. It becomes, in theory, simpler when you move both of them out because you just fit the pieces that were left over together, and that bottom pairing just becomes whoever you've brought up to replace them. Right. And like we've mentioned of their mm-hmm. names, or whoever you had to take back in the trades. Yeah, exactly. So it, uh, yeah. And that's the one thing we'd even think of too, is, you know, if you get Schneider back for Lindholm, okay, well then, right. Then he's playing. Right. So then you, you could get bodies back in these trades that, that come in and replace mm-hmm. these guys. And obviously not to the same level, but, um, there is, you know, it's not necessarily you lose Lindholm and don't get anybody back, and it's Larson or Gooley who have to step in there. It's you could get some, you know, NHL level or NHL caliber player back that you can plug into your lineup and not have to to bring any of these guys up. So, I, I really hope we get more from Gooley. I still think his game is kind of tantalizing, and we just haven't seen much of him. That I, I would. I want the Gooley trade to work. Yeah. I I think, you know, the way that it kind of went for him as far as going to Buffalo and having up and down in Buffalo because it's Buffalo. And then he's in the Montour trade and it's just like, oh, all right, fine. Uh, you know, and then he struggled with some injuries and stuff like that. But I, I just think his skill set is very interesting. And I think, you know, just as much as the old person part of my brain would love a Benoit Drysdale, I think a... Uh, a Gooley Drysdale pairing could be a lot much, a lot closer to the more modern skating style, like like skate ability first dynamic defensive pairs because they can both skate really well. They can both make great passes. You know, I, I think it takes a lot of pressure off of both of them just because they both have somebody else there. 
yes, he's in Florida right now. Making he's, actually way playing too pretty, much money. he's playing pretty well there. Yeah, but he's making like three and a half a year or something like that. Like he's yeah. making a lot of money. Um, what we should do is go out and trade for Radko Gudis. Bring him home. Let's go. Let's make it happen. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's just a, there's a lot of interesting questions, and I think you know the more when we you know kind of get back on the swing of doing this again with more games coming up and things like that, I think that's going to really be kind of the big through line is what decisions have they made to that point and what subsequent decisions are, are going to be coming after. Um, and I, I think it's really kind of exciting because we have no idea what Verbeek is uh, kind of looking to do. We only know that he was part of two separate organizations that we have seen make very smart moves. And so, you know, you, the fact that he was a prominent part of the scouting staff, I think is, is very encouraging. Uh, you know, especially when you see someone like Cider have the kind of success that he's having right now. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. I'm really, you know, it's, it's a very interesting, interesting thing for me, I think. Yeah. I, I hate all the speculation leading up to trade deadline. I just want it to be over with and know what happened at this point. Uh, feel, yeah, no kidding. I feel like I, this one, like I love it and I hate it. Every show leading up to the trade deadline, uh, with probably about probably when you hit January is like the topic. Every time we get on this, is just who's going to get moved. What are we going to get? You know, what is the updated rumors with that? And I love it. And then I, I hate it. Cause we have to wait until, until we finally find out what's going to happen. So I can't wait mm-hmm. until March 21st and we get to find out what actually happened. It's a lot more exciting this year with the new GM in charge and at, and mm-hmm. almost not not even a clearer picture, but just like having no idea what's going to happen. Because when Murray was in yep. charge, we kind of had an idea of like it's not going to be much, and we always kind of hoped for something more, and it never came. And it was like, yeah, this is what was to be expected. You know, maybe a mm-hmm. deal is going to trickle in after three o'clock, or I guess noon right. time, and some you know some some big deal is yeah, going to trickle uh... over, and it ends up being the an AHL deal, Buddy Robinson comes in from wherever for whoever, right? So that's usually uh, the way it works. So yeah, it's 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 interesting, exciting that way. Is that uh, there's no idea what's going to happen. We know three UFAs are are their decisions and their fates with the, the organization are going to get uh, get solved uh, by the deadline. But you know, other guys could potentially creep into that conversation. Henrik Silverberg, Shattenkirk, Comtois. Yeah, you know, those are those are guys that I wouldn't necessarily say they might that they won't get moved you know the the big focus is going to be on the ufas but there's a lot of names on this team that that might not be here after march 21st um so it'll be interesting to see what ruby does he's got uh, the the rare opportunity to shape his roster within months of starting the position so and to Mm -hmm. to really mold it in the way he wants it to to look in, in some sense with all these core players hitting uh, unrestricted free agency and, and a lot of interesting options that they, he could potentially move out the door. Yeah, I, um, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, like you said, because there are so many different types of, uh, paths that he can take and we have no idea what he's going to do. Um, but I, I want to ask you kind of, you actually touched on something I was just thinking about, which is as as kind of another way of kind of looking at the way different players are playing right now, right, and what we're seeing from them, is there anybody you think 
you, you know, you kind of mentioned specifically uh, Henrik and Comtois, and we talked about Shattenkirk earlier, but that's kind of playing their way into maybe being a surprise uh, trade target for other teams. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because the guys who are playing well are either untouchable in a sense or the guys who are likely going to get moved out the door, guys like Raquel, uh, or they're Henrik and Silverberg and the contracts and the term is just ridiculous. I, I think the only guy who could potentially fit that mold is Isaac Lindstrom, right? Like is he's playing well, probably, probably won't be moved, but could moved you know whether a team calls on him and wants him specifically or is to make way in a bigger deal we've talked about come to along those lines as potentially being a sweetener for a bigger deal potentially i think lindstrom is but maybe the only guy in the ducks roster who fits that mold is a guy that is not even been mentioned as being traded isn't a guy we're really considering to be traded but could be one of those guys that does get moved just because he's having a great year and a lot of teams could be interested in him yeah, I you know, Henrik is, is is the one for me because there's only two years left on his deal after this year. Um, I would imagine that with the position that the team is in uh, and with, again, having such a fresh voice in the, at the top of the organization, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we did see the Samuelis um, be willing to eat salary. For a couple of years on, say, a Henrik or a Silverberg, if it allowed the, the roster to kind of start to adjust. But, I, you know, I, again, I don't want to I'm kind of just half assing it, I guess. But it's one of those things. It's like I, I do think that like right now, Henrik has played well enough to think that there are teams out there that, you know, might be interested in him. I don't think it's you know, it's not your Minnesota's. It's not your your New York Rangers. They don't have the money. Um, but a lot of teams, I think, would take him at you know three, three and a half if the Ducks retain yeah, exactly. some money for the next couple of years. That that that's right around what you would pay a you know a third line center, and he's a I would I, I don't want to say he's a premier third line center because I don't think that's the right word, but he is above average as a third line center. He's like a two B, right? And well, and on a very good is, team, is he, he a center be, anymore? I, he can be. I think he. He's been shifted to the I, no, wing because no, no. he had to in Anaheim to make room for for guys they want to play at center. Um, you know, Zegers specifically. Zegers playing center pushed Henrik to the wing because then you had Getzlaff down the middle and they still wanted Sam Steele down the middle. And Isaac Lindstrom has played well, so it's like okay, you've got to you've got to go to the wing. Like we just have to push you to the wing. But I, I think that's flexibility for a lot of teams, right? It's like okay, mm-hmm. we can play him at center, but. If we don't have to, we can play him on the wing. Like, and he's done well there, right? The the that I think means something. Where I think he has a bit more value over a guy like Silverberg. And Henrik's actually played really well this year. It's not a uh-huh. dig at Silverberg, but I can't imagine Silverberg's yes, value is is, yes, is that high because he's yeah yeah he's been known for his two way play, but also being able to chip in offensively and score some goals, and that just has not come for him this year. Meanwhile, Henrik is kind of done what you expect from him, right? Is to, to be on pace for around 40 points and uh, and be a decent third-line player for your, for your team. So I, I think there could be some interest there. I think a lot of teams – I think the interest would pick up if the Ducks ate salary for sure. Uh, if they ate $1 or $2 million off that deal for the next couple of years, then uh, I think there would be a lot of teams calling on, on Adam Henry just for the term, right? Teams that could fit him under for the next couple of years before they have to re-sign somebody 
and make a few runs at it with him. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, look, he has 23 points in 34 games, so he's on pace for almost close to 60 points this season. Um, you know, a lot of that is obviously because of his ability to. He's played with uh, he played with Terry and Getzy during Terry's you know, superstar streak. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, he's collecting points. Um, and I, I just it's interesting to me, right? Because you have Comtois, who I think is kind of the I don't want to say like sneaky, but like kind of like a dark horse favorite to get moved, just because of the scratches lately and and the depth on the left side. Um, but like, there's still Max Jones in this in this organization. You have Milano, you have Braden Tracy. You know, uh, Pasiov can play both sides. Um, Sam Steele, what is he? Right, Mason McTavish is he a center long term? I think that he is, but. We did see him this year, right, when he came up early. He did play the wing, and he was very effective. So I, I think there's a lot of interesting questions to be asked as far as is Henrique almost a detriment at this point just to trying to develop the roster, and would it make more sense, and would you get more out of him? It sounds wrong to say it that way, but eating salary right mm. and getting him out the door and getting him to a team that can, can use him to be competitive um you know especially with his experience playing center if you have a right-handed center and you can put a left you can put a left wing with him who has experience taking draws a lot of teams would be very attracted to that we see that you know already in with teams playing guys to specifically take draws on different sides of the ice uh it's just interesting because I think this point last year, I don't think a lot of us thought this would even be debatable, right? It would No, he's just going to be here until he's gone. Maybe his yeah. last year he gets traded at the deadline or something. But other than that, and at this point, you know, again, if you eat $2 million on that salary, I don't think anybody's going to have a problem playing 3.85 for him. I don't think so. And, and uh, I, I think, like, one good point that uh... – that you had mentioned, I think, like the opportunity cost of of moving Henrique is that you have these guys who are coming up in the lineup that you can now put in and and replace him with over the next couple of years, right? Like, like you said, Max Jones not in the lineup currently. It's gonna have to find a place for him next year. Okay, let's say Raquel has moved out. Okay, there's your like for like, or at least you know you can move Jones into that spot for Raquel, and and there you go. Okay, well you've got Tracy and Perot that have had a game each this year, probably play some, some San Di- games in San Diego next year, but are going to need some some more shots at the NHL next year or, and will probably have earned it at that point. Then you have guys like Pasuab and McTavish is coming back. He's going to need a spot. Somebody else is getting moved here, right, beyond Ricard Raquel. Mm-hmm. Whether it's at the deadline now or in the offseason, somebody's getting moved. Somebody's not being brought back. You know, looking at you, Sam Steele, pending RFA again this year like that that could be a situation here come to again we've mentioned him but that's where you start to look beyond these UFAs and say okay like the defense that will figure itself out there's not a lot of guys looking to jump up right now you know we're, we're speculating who could come in and actually replace these guys up front it's a completely different story there's a long list of guys that are waiting to jump mm-hmm. into this lineup and not a lot of spots for them to jump into and that's where you 
got to start moving some of these guys out and getting something in return. And, and if eating $2 million means you could get some assets for Adam Henrique and make room for other guys in this roster to come up and, and play next year, it's worth it. It's worth $2 million for the next two years. It's not going to hurt you. It's mm-hmm. not going to prevent you from, you know, you're not going to be competitive. It's not going to prevent you from signing anybody you'd want to go out and sign or giving money to young players like Zegers and Drysdale. It's not going to affect you that way. So if it allows you to get somebody else, a Tracy, a Perot, a Jones, whoever, into the lineup and you get assets for him, it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I, man, I, uh, so this is, you know, as we're talking about the left side, um, Sonny Milano is an RFA this summer, and he turns 26 in May. Is he a sneaky trade candidate? Especially with that RFA team control kind of thing, and with the year that he's had, and his, like, he has shown definitively that he has the chops to play in a top six and to play with high-level players, and he can actively contribute to those lines. Like, he looks great. I would love to keep him. But what is his next contract going to look like? And does someone like, say, Pat Verbeek, you know, look to move him before that contract becomes a problem? Yeah, it, it's it's certainly an option. I mean, it feels like a – yeah, it feels like a net negative just because he has so much skill and so much speed, which is the two things that this team has historically lacked uh, up front. But, I mean, you know. So, anyways, I'll let you finish. I was just thinking no, with you, those two dynamics. You got to analyze what you what you think you actually have in Sonny Milano, right? And that we saw what we got from Maxim Comtois last year, led the Ducks in scoring. And we're we're looking at what we're getting from him this year, right? And it's not mm-hmm. a great like for like comparison, but one season doesn't make the player. You got to objectively look at Milano and say, okay, like, can we get this again? And and long term, are we only going to get this type of play playing him with a guy like Zegers? Is he going to be with Zegers, you know, for the the next five years of his career if we re-sign him to you know a five by five or whatever they end up re-signing him for? Right? Is are we going to be locked into getting the best out of him? We have to play him with Zegers. There's no flexibility there when guys like Pastrov and Perot come up, and that's a real decision they have to look at and say like, okay, like. Then maybe we move him. Like, I think it is a, a sneaky potential option for the Ducks to just ship him out the door, and say like if they think that this is a one-off, and it's because he's playing with Trevor Zegras, and they don't see that being an option, you know, presumably shooting seventeen percent. Yeah, exactly. No prior success to this year uh, when they slotted him in on top power play and playing with their their most skilled and creative player. Maybe that's where you sell high at this point and see what you can get from him. Mm-hmm. So I, I think when you go into this deadline, there's only five players, six players who we can say for sure aren't going to get moved. Zegris, Drysdale, Terry, Fowler, Gibson. And that would probably be it. I, I would say of guys that aren't going to get moved. Uh, everybody else, I'd say there's, there's even if it's a slim chance, there's a chance, right? Like, Lindstrom could be moved. Yeah. Lindholm, Manson, Raquel, Silverberg, Henry, Comtois, Mahura, Delorier, Steele, Shattenkirk, Stolarz, Milano. I can make a case for all those guys. I, the, the only five are Zegers, Drysdale, Fowler, Gibson, and Terry. That I would say there's absolutely no way you move these guys at, at, at all. 
You just, you just can't. Um, mm-hmm. you know, no, Fowler, Fowler's case, it's you know he's played great, but contract and term makes it tough. You're not trading your you're starting net minor in the middle of the season. Zegers and Drysdale are untouchable, and and trading Terry at this point would just be mental to to move him. Now you can make a yeah, case. Yeah, you can't. You can make a case along the same lines as Milano with him. Like, is this for real? But the type of season he's had, and the way he looks consistently every single game, like you, you, he's as close to as untouchable as you can get. Like, he's not in the same category as Zegers and Drysdale, and like, there's no way you're moving these guys out. But he's like right there. He's really one foot in the door of being untouchable. Yeah, and I think the fact that there is still the extra year on that contract at one point four five, I think it it makes it even I, I think it makes it more justifiable to keep him, right? Because what you could say is if you keep him and for some reason this year is a fluke and next year he just kind of shows that this was an outlier. Well, all right, now you sold low and you don't have the benefit of like having term at the end of that contract, that kind of stuff, right? But I think the opportunity cost of being able to like hold on to him and spend that extra year to make sure he's the guy that he very much looks like, um, I think that is more valuable. So I, I definitely agree with you that as much as you could probably get a fair amount for him right now, uh, given the fact that he doesn't even make one and a half, and yep. he has the same, he has another year plus RFA after that. Like you don't have to pay him at the end of this year. You've you've got that leeway, right. like you said, but where you man, can, yeah, yeah, you could get you could so get so hard to do that to this fan base. <laughs> you could get the moon for him right now because of that contract and the term uh, and the way he's played mm-hmm. this year. But yeah, like the the thing that that makes Terry's situation different from Milano is that you have next year at the same cap hit to be like, okay, like we'll, you get another chance to show us this is who you are. With Milano, it's okay contract year technically for him. Uh, you have to resign him at the end of this year. Is he going to take a bridge deal? Is he going to want a big deal? What are you going to pay him? Is he actually worth it? You're making you're taking a risk there because you, let's say you pay this guy more than than what he's worth he's gonna get paid a lot based off the the way he played this year and then he comes out next year and just he doesn't show you he's that guy he's just not that guy he just had a really great season playing with you know playing top line minutes with the only guys really generating any offense on this team when he's been in the lineup he's been put in some really good good positions and and like i'm not trying to discredit milano here because i've liked how he's played and i like him a lot but it, it is a risky situation to come into to say, okay, like, are we going to give this guy throw to number four by four or four and a half or, or even more? And we don't know if he's that guy. We really don't know if he's that guy. And it, it takes mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, evaluation and, and conversation between the GM and the scout to say, like, listen, do we, do we want to do this? Do we want to pay this guy whatever it's going to presumably have to pay? And I'm sure along with the discussions they've had, with uh, Lynn Tolman and Raquel and Manson, they've reached out to some of the pending RFAs and say, especially Milano, and say, "Listen, like, what are you? What? What do you? What are you? What kind of ballpark range are you in right now? Because this is mm-hmm. we we got to know because we're gonna have to pay you at the end of this year. And uh, yeah, as, as Shane says, you're you're not that guy, pal, for for Milano. I don't I don't know quite yet if he's that guy. So yeah, that's an interesting one. That that probably should have been our pick for. Uh, sneaky guy who could get traded at the deadline is Sonny Milano. Yeah, I think the thing with him is 
you know, he so clearly works well with Zegris. And I think the thing to me that would be encouraging is like when you watch him, he's an incredibly effective four checker. He really does do a good job of getting in and onto that puck and, and really generating pressure on those defensemen if they're not moving their feet. And, and I think that is the kind of thing that you could look to as saying, I think those plays make this season repeatable because those are the kinds of things that like, like, like Daniel Sprong didn't do that. Right. So even as much as you wanted to talk yourself into just that shot being insane, he was not active like that. He didn't do those kinds of things where you're like, he's going to look to create his own opportunities. He was just going to wait and take the shot as soon as he had the puck. And, and I think that makes Milano much more attractive as far as wanting to take uh, the risk with Milano. Yeah, there's an but, effort level there that you can see and and the compete level and, and some individual skill that we've seen that can convince me that he can do this again. But I'm not 100% sold yet, right? And and so, it's such a tough situation to be in because it could completely backfire and you could move this guy and he turns out to be that guy and you traded him. Mm-hmm. But then there's the flip side where you sign him to a deal that he's you know not worth and now you're stuck with this guy at, at you know potentially a long-term contract and he's just not worth it and you can't do that again. So it's a, it's a fine line to dance with Milano and it's it's – same with UFAs and RFAs. Like it's, it's tough to judge them off a contract year when it's a breakout year. Like it's just the way the stars aligned that this is his breakout year and he's a pending RFA at the end of the season, which is why it's nice that Trey Terry has that extra buffer year, right? It, mm-hmm. We all assume he's that guy, and I would put a lot more stock in Trey Terry being this type of player than Milano. But it would still be a tough call again to, to what are you going to pay this guy at the end of the season if he was a pending RFA? Well, now for the Ducks, they've got another year to look at next year and be like, okay, you know, do this again. Show us you can do this again, right? And and look at Maxim Comtois, right? Like he – what if we had to pay him based off what he did last year and, and what that could have looked yeah. like and then he comes into this year, right? I mean, so we kind of did, but – yeah. It's tough. Uh, so here's the question. Here's the question I have for you, and I'm gonna. You're gonna be mad at me for this. Given that going into the start of next season, they are going to be the same age. If you, yeah, they're like two months apart in age. If you keep the contract the same for both players, who would you rather have next year, Milano or Garland? Four years at four point nine five million. Connor Connor Garland, um, just just a bigger sample size. Um, all right, like I mean, what you hope Sonny Milano turns into, right, would technically be Connor Garland, like a thirty to forty point winger who could scratch twenty goals and and be a, you know just a solid play driver on any line that he's on. Like that's what you would hope Sonny Milano would turn into, right? Connor Garland's already that guy, and he's proved it on some pretty bad teams in Arizona and Vancouver. Uh, so yeah, any, any I think any day of the week I would take I would take Connor Garland over over Sonny Milano, uh, and yeah, I I fully recognize that that could come back to bite me. Um, 
But like, what what do you realistically? What do you see Sonny Milano's ceiling? Because like, yeah, for me, his ceiling is he turns into a reliable top six forward like Connor Garland already is, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Connor Garland has thirteen, twenty two, twelve, and fourteen goals. Uh, he hasn't hit forty points yet, but it's been in mostly shortened seasons. Yeah. Uh, shooting percentage seems to be pretty stable around 11 ish. 11, 14, 9, 10. No, I, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you necessarily. I think, um, you know, I think him being a right hand shot makes him a little bit more interesting. I think his, his physicality and the opportunity to put kind of a shit stir with Zegris is incredibly entertain, incredibly enticing. But man, it's really hard for me to turn my back on the chemistry that him and Zegris have because Milano and Zegris, they just look so comfortable together. And, you know, it, I, <laughs> this is one of those things where this is like, you know, the old person part of my brain gets me in trouble. Like I would almost rather bet on the chemistry than the sample size as stupid admittedly as that is as emotional a decision as that is i i do think that you know like i are we sure milano's ceiling isn't or like the best version of milano isn't 30 goals and 60 points yes yeah, we just don't know at this point like, right like it, that's the risk that's the risk you take is he raquel that's the thing, right? You're looking at, is he Raquel? And if he's Raquel, you got to keep him. If he's Raquel and he has that kind of chemistry with Zegers, I think you have to keep him. If he's Jordan Chichu, you know, yeah, uh, where it's a one-off kind of a thing or, you know, a couple of years, but really not sustainable long-term. Like, you know, yeah, I get it. But I just think, you know, I think he's got a chance to really be a first line left wing. And I don't really mind if 15 to 20 percent of his value is simply how well he plays with uh, Zegris. I, 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 that doesn't bother me. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And and like I'm I'm all for keeping him because I, I will always lean to the fact that, you know, there there is something here. And the underlying numbers back mm-hmm. it up for Milano this year. Like it would show if he was getting carried by Trevor Zegers, um, and he wasn't contributing on his own. Like he's making a significant impact on both ends of the ice when he's out there, not just offensively but defensively as well. It's a buzz saw when he when he's out there on the ice. So I, I like him and I want to keep him around. But there, you know, there just there's that that thought in the back of your mind where you're like, oh, like, is he for real, right? Because a former first round pick. Didn't really scratch it in Columbus. Didn't get a lot of the opportunities. Took him a couple seasons before he really found his footing in Anaheim. And it just happened like he's playing with Zegras. And that just clicked, right? And is it a one-off? Is it, you know, teams will start figuring them out and that chemistry dies out a little bit? Is this for real? And like, that's the questions the Ducks have to answer, right? Like, it's a tough decision going into to that saying, okay, like, you know, are we going to keep this guy around? And if we are going to keep him around, I think they would love to keep him around. But what are we? Get, what's it going to cost us for him to stick around now, right? And if you could lock this guy into like a show me two by two, like it's a no brainer. 
Yeah, there you go. If they can lock him into a show me bridge, and they might be able to do it, right? Like, I don't see why Milano would say no. I'm sure he would love to sign like a five by five or something ridiculous like that, or like similar to what Garland has. But you know, if you say, "Listen, we're gonna five by five, yeah," if we're we're gonna play with Zegras, we'll sign it to like a two by two and a half. You're still gonna make a decent amount of money. Just show us you can do it. Show us you can go out there and do it, and 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 we'll give you the opportunity. We'll play you with this kid. We'll play you with Zegras. We'll 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 bank on the chemistry, but we're not gonna pay you for that one year. You're gonna have to go out and show us that you can do this. I mean, I I don't think that's unfair. I totally think that is. I think two. I would think I would assume the number would be closer to three, three and a half ish, um, because I do think he's looked that good this year, but. You know, I mean the the other the other fear is that in that two years he goes from a four and a half five million dollar player to a seven or eight million dollar player, and like that's a great problem to have. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I, and and I don't think that's that's the risk of it, right? But again, if that's what you're coming out of this with, then that means he's for real, yeah. and that's fine. You now have a guy. That's for real, and yeah. you sign that guy. Yeah, so, you, you chalk you it know, up as a small loss, but it ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a win because you kept this guy, and he's become right. be become more than you could have imagined. Right, it's become potentially a thirty goal. If he's making seven, eight, nine million dollars, he's a thirty goal, seventy point player, playing with right. with Trevor Segers at that point. Right, so. Um, yeah, you might have to pay this guy that much sooner than you would have liked, but like that that's a cost. If that's business. what he is. Yeah, if that's what he is, man, the idea of Milano, Zegris, McTavish, Terry as kind of your core of your top two lines, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, that's yep. a lot. that's scary as hell. It's that nice. doesn't have Perot, that doesn't have Pastiov, that doesn't have Tracy or Jones or Comfort. Like the number of players that could still walk into that and have an impact, like you're looking at a very good team. And again, this is all the normal hypothetical fantasy shit, but in a world where, like like we said, he does turn into that guy, that means you're in a really good spot. Yeah, and whoever you know, they and get this year, right? To doing business. The, the, mm-hmm. we, we've said this already. Um, the Ducks have all those complimentary wingers and, and forwards in the system already that are going to come in and fill up this roster. They're just a couple superstars away. <sighs> or not even superstars, but a couple just star players, right? Um, mm-hmm. 60 to 70 point guys uh, or just the potential uh, of that away from from being or from having kind of the complete pool and system ready to go you know Zegers is the big piece of that McTavish was added to it Terry's made the huge jump and, and he's become a big piece of that and now they're looking for like you said that, that kind of that fourth guy right and, and you know there still remains to be seen one can Terry continue to be this guy I think he can mm-hmm. it, McTavish has to pan out which all signs point to him doing. Zegers is already proving that he can be that guy. And now you just find that one extra guy, and whether that's Milano or, you know, Jones, Comtois, Perot, Pasuov, or, you know, whoever you take this year. The Ducks have a lot of kicks at the can for for it to be any one oh, of those guys, for it to pan out. So there's some good odds there that it uh, uh, that it will pan out for them. But, yeah, yeah that that's kind of the one thing they're missing, right, is that one more dynamic forward to kind of add to the mix. Uh, and be that kind of number four guy, that that winger on Seagrass's line, if you want to call it that. And um, 
yeah, I, it's it's really the last thing they're missing, and and maybe maybe a bit more defense prospects, somebody to go along with Drysdale there. Uh, maybe we'll see that in this draft too. Take one of those uh, top defensemen available and add to that pool because Zellweger is great. Uh, I still think you need a, a, a third guy there, right, uh, to kind of add to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you definitely do, and I think given uh, the profile of Zellweger and, and Drysdale, I think you are definitely looking at. Jake Sanderson, a Braden Schneider type player. That's what you're looking for. A bigger body who is going to be able to play consistently good defense. You know, I don't mind, you know, that Zoeger and Drysdale are seven feet tall if they stand on each other's shoulders. Um, but you still need to accept the reality that, that that size comes with certain limitations and it is seems to be more than made up for by what they bring. And again, with Drysdale, he really does leverage his skating so well defensively um, that you're more than willing to take that trade-off. But you do need to give them the type of uh, kind of support with defense partners that will allow them to really be the best version of themselves. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Trade deadline talk, uh, trade talk in general, always gets me pumped up for for the end of March here. So uh, it'll be exciting to do that. I, I know we're, we're planning on doing something that day. I'm taking the day off no matter what. Uh, I don't know if we're going to do what, what I've done in the past and be live uh, for the entire day. I think it all depends, honestly, on whether guys get moved ahead of the deadline, which is likely what's going to happen. If we go into deadline day and Lindholm, mm-hmm. Lindholm Manson and Raquel haven't been moved, I'll probably go live and, uh, and wait for it to happen. <laughs> uh, likely that's not going to be the case. I would imagine at least one of them is going to get moved uh, in the next week or so here. Uh, but we're going to be doing something that day, whether it's uh, you know we jump on for you know a quick 20 30 minutes when uh when a trade gets gets when a trade happens and the ducks move somebody or acquire somebody uh or we we kind of go and, and kick it live a few hours into the deadline and ride it out but uh we'll we'll let you guys know what's happening uh want to wrap up the we show go live we'll make eddie play elden ring yeah that, i'm sure everybody would enjoy well, that. we can just play elden ring during the trade deadline that's what we'll do yeah yeah i'm down <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know. Sounds like uh, a good time. I don't know how many people would tune in, but it's gonna be me, you, and Brett, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so pretty much like oh right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, we gotta make our predictions real quick before sorry, we wrap up the show. Uh, Vegas tomorrow, San Jose on Sunday to finish the week. What, what do you got? I mean, I think they're gonna split them, but. That says that's more about how I feel about San Jose than I feel about the Ducks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I think it's loss against Vegas, win against San Jose. Uh, both yeah, home, home games. Then we head on a five game road trip: Chicago, Nashville, New Jersey, and New York. And New York again: New York Islanders, New York Rangers, and then back. Uh, so three winnable games. Yeah. Well, presumably all of those, right? Except for the Rangers, you could say. Like Chicago, Nashville, New Jersey, and the Islanders. You probably like you should be in those games. I would put Nashville, yes. But I think Nashville is closer to the Rangers than they are to Jersey. Which is the strongest yeah. of the bad teams, right? Because you would go, it's the Rangers, Nashville, Jersey, Chicago Islanders. The fact that Chicago is better than anybody is a miracle. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I, I honestly, like, I I put New Jersey there to set up personal preference over the Islanders. Um, and, I, <laughs> and I like some of their younger players. They like, just got Dougie Hamilton back, which I think yeah. is a big plus for them. Yeah, that's huge. But, yeah, it should be three winnable games for sure. Uh, Nashville's kind of teetering on uh, between the two. But, yeah, you're right. They are closer to the Rangers than they are uh, to the Devils or any of those other teams. So, uh, it'll be it'll be an interesting road trip when they when they pull up for five games there, but uh, starts with the the two game homestand here against Vegas tomorrow and San Jose on Sunday. So uh, two big games still, right? Like in the play in the yeah, grand scheme of things, big. Vegas for sure tomorrow. For you know, they've slumped a little bit as of late. I think they're losing right now. Uh, so it's a big game. It's a four point game for a team that uh, you're within a couple points of if you're looking to make a playoff push still. So. They uh, need at least three points out of this next two games. They need three points. Yeah. If they don't get three points, then it, I, I just think it's going to be too much because if Edmonton does kind of keep it together, if they're able to add a goaltender, um, you know, the Kings are clearly going to be buyers right now because they're in such a good position. Uh, I, you know, you don't want to be trying to fight for third with – you know, Vegas, Edmonton, and, and uh, why did I forget the name? Uh, Vegas, Edmonton, and L.A. And all of that is doesn't even count Vancouver, who I think is only like a point behind the Ducks right now and has a game or two in hand. So, uh, you know, it, it could spiral really fast, which to, you know, to the kind of the bigger point of this season Every little bit that they get past, they move up down in the standings is an improvement in their draft lottery odds. Um, you know, and look, if uh, if we trade Lindholm, Raquel, and Manson and get Shane Wright, I'll be very happy. That'll work very well for me. Got to get got to get to that um, bottom ten because of the new uh, draft lottery rules. You can only jump ten spots, so we, we got to get into that bottom ten. So that means losing a few more games if they're going to miss the playoffs. Like, goodness. listen, if they if they miss the playoffs, and nobody, I know people don't like to hear this, but if you're going to miss the playoffs, the lower you finish, the better, right? Because you mm-hmm. get better odds at the lottery. It's not a gr- fun way of looking at it. I'm not actively wishing the Ducks lose, but in the grand scheme of things, if they were to miss the playoffs. Yes, I would rather them finish lower than to just miss the playoffs and finish, you know, just outside mm-hmm. one or two points back. Um, better odds at the draft lottery I'll take over just missing out on the playoffs every day. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I and I think uh, again, like this is something that like we've talked about multiple times, but I think that's a testament to how strong this team's future looks right now. That there isn't really like, I think it's two different things, right? Cause like there's hoping that the team fails so that they can finally bottom out, finally get those picks, finally start to work their way forward. This is more of like, Hey man, I'll take an extra couple losses, get a better pick and really, you know, make sure that we're bringing in a, a difference maker, you know, just give me the extra difference maker as opposed to, man, we really need to finish in that bottom three. So, uh, you know, it, it feels like it's really just a lot of, of positives. It just might be a painful process getting there. Yeah, well, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. Uh, we will be back. Uh, I know we're planning on recording a Patreon episode this weekend on Saturday, so we'll be doing that. 
Uh, Jason should should join us for that one. Um, I know we've been kind That's of... That's the rumor. We yeah, don't know. Yeah. It's uh, not, not confirmed until Saturday uh, when we actually go live and record it. Um, and then we, we're... I know we're out of kind of whack with our scheduling on the weekly show, but we'll try and get that back to the weekends <laughs> and when we can actually yeah. record it uh what well, we were we were doing that for a bit there but yeah we'll try and get that back to the weekends um uh, whether it's missing one this weekend and, and kind of just pushing the next one to saturday or sunday we'll we'll see uh, with the trade deadline coming up it gives us a little bit of flexibility as long as no trades happen to just kind of push one back a little bit so stay tuned for that we'll let you guys know what's going on uh same with our like we'd mentioned a couple minutes ago here the uh the trade deadline plans, uh, we'll announce those once we kind of have a better idea of what that day is going to look like. So probably won't know until the last couple of days before March 21st whether the Ducks have made a move or not and what we're going to do for that day. But uh, we're going to do something. So at least you know that. We're going to be live here, whether it's all day or just periodically throughout the day. We'll, we'll figure that out. We'll let you guys know. But I uh, appreciate everybody who came out live. Uh, Brett, Shane, uh, I saw you guys in the chat. Uh, anybody else who uh, who came out live and and anybody listening after the fact, appreciate you coming out and, and checking out the show, and we will see you guys soon. Bye, everybody.